You're listening to audio from the West End Community Church in McGregor, Manitoba. Uh, I wrote an email this week, and uh, this is part of what it said. Dear friend, it's been a while since I sent an email to you, and the last one I fear was angry and harsh. And I hope that this one is a little bit different. Uh, By way of context, I am a pastor. Uh, I'm preaching this Sunday on Esther chapter 3. And I am going to attempt to tell my people about how grudges and thoughts of revenge can work to consume us and distract us from the call that Christ has placed on our lives. And as I was... Sitting in my office, finishing my summation, the Lord hit me over the head and told me that I needed to send you a message. I've been meaning to do so for some time now, but I have always put it off, telling myself that I needed to do it in person or I needed to do it differently, but truthfully, that was just an excuse. And I realize that it would be hard to tell my people to let go of their grudges without letting go of mine. My previous email most likely left you in no doubt that I was angry. humbly ask your forgiveness for those feelings and being bitter towards you and I know I was being unfair to you so please forgive me and I think that I can hopefully preach on Sunday in good conscience now so thanks for listening Myron Somebody once said that life and pain are synonymous. Uh, They said that you cannot have one without the other. And if you were to escape on this earth, or, or if you were to exist on this earth without pain, or you were hoping to at least, it's just a fantasy. We cannot escape pain. We have to learn how to live through our pain. That's the way that we, uh, that's what we should be trying to accomplish. And the goal in life is not to get away from pain. It's to learn the lessons that pain will teach us. Because pain pain is inevitable. Suffering is inevitable. Um, somebody uh, in the 17th century, I believe it was the 17th century, I can't remember exactly. I have a lot of quotes here. One of the, uh, somebody once said this, pain is inevitable, misery is optional. Um, back in the 17th century, a publication called the New England Primer included these words. 
Our days begin with trouble. Our life is but a span. And cruel death is always near. How frail a thing is man. And even though those words were written over three centuries ago, they actually were kind of written way, way, way uh, further back than that. Job chapter 14 verse 1 says this, Man who is born of woman is short-lived or short-lived and full of turmoil. And if you take a paraphrase and you look at the living Bible of Job chapter 14 verse 1, this is what it says. Um, How frail is man, how few his days, how full of trouble. Frail, few, and full. It's a good sermon outline. Uh, Job also says elsewhere, later on in his book, he says, Man is born for trouble as the sparks fly upward. The, the point that I'm trying to make, and I think that is made through all these different things that I've read to you already, is that we need to stop trying to make an escape from pain and from hardship and affliction and suffering, rather that we should take those opportunities that we have when we suffer, when we have pain, when we experience the, the unpleasant things of life, when we do those things, we need to learn from them. Ben Franklin once said this, The things that hurt, instruct. And that's true, isn't it? I mean, stop for a moment and and just think about... Think about all the different things in all the different uh, areas of your life and, and, and this world that causes pain and suffering. I mean, think... The, think of the natural world. I mean, we just watch the news and we're in the middle of hurricane season. We're not in the middle of hurricane season, but the world is in the middle of hurricane season. Um, <laughs> we have hurricanes where people are displaced from their homes and there's wind and water damage and, and all these sorts of things where people's homes are, are affected and their lives are uprooted and all these sorts of things. Hurricanes are terrible. Earthquakes, tornadoes, floods, mudslides, blizzards. We know blizzards. And, and drought. All these things of the natural world that, that people, the population of our world, experience. Um, all these different things, they cause pain and suffering. It's inevitable. There isn't a week that goes by that there isn't some kind of natural disaster that we all have to either watch on the news or we have to experience for ourselves. There's not just natural disaster kind of things, but there's also other things. Uh, Physical afflictions, birth defects, disabilities, handicaps, accidents, burns, diseases that bring death we've all experienced those things we've grown through them there isn't any one of us I guarantee in this room today that does not know of or known in the past as someone who has died of a a terminal disease there's emotional trauma We don't talk about this very much because for some reason we're embarrassed by it, but we shouldn't be embarrassed by it because it's a a reality. 
But sometimes we, we do overlook it. But there's depression and there's discouragement and there's disappointment. And there's, there's all these things that, that kind of attack us. And, and we, we look like we're fine on the outside. We've got this mask on when we come to church or when we go to work or we go to school. And, and all these different things. But inside we're dying. And there's pain, and there's, there's suffering, and um, domestic problems. We know that there is discord, and there is abuse in homes, even in our own communities. The concept of happily ever after just doesn't exist. International conflicts, we know that full well, don't we? I mean, it's happening just on the other side of the world, yes, but there's relevance. What's going on in Israel and Palestine? And those, that's not the only place where we are looking to our world leaders to bring some kind of Resolution or, or accord or compromise or, or whatever it is. But the fact of the matter is maybe it's distant to us, but there are people, Palestinians, Israelis, there are people on either side that are suffering greatly, losing their lives because of selfishness and, and, and hurt and bigotry. And, and, and there's all these things that are happening. How frail is man? How few his days? How full of trouble? I mean, we could spend all, we could spend all the time that we have left, and, and maybe I could keep you here till supper time. I'm not going to do that. Um, but we could delineate these specific examples of where life is synonymous with pain. We could do all that. You just can't get away from it. And, and the only way that we can learn from such experiences is to know um, it's, it's to know and to understand the theological root of the problem. Why? The, the question has to be asked, why is there pain and why is there suffering and why do we as human beings why do we have to deal with it? What is the root cause? Well, I got the answer for you. I can tell you exactly why. The answer is evil. The answer is evil. It is the presence uh, it is the presence of evil, plain and simple. That's that is the answer to the question. That is the theological root of the problem for pain and suffering. The things that we deal with that we don't want to, but we have to in this world. It may sound simplistic. I get it. But it is no less true. I believe that Adam and Eve would have lived forever. And not only would they have lived forever, but they would have lived forever disease-free had they not sinned. And with the coming, but with the coming of sin came the presence of suffering in our world. That's, that's the truth. 
I mean, Genesis chapter 3, specifically kind of like verse 15 and on, it tells us that God cursed the woman, right? With pain and childbirth. He cursed the man. Thorns and thistles in his work, the sweat of his brow. Struggles with people, relational problems, personal problems. All these things came into the world with the, present, with, with the arrival of sin. It's lurking in the shadows. And you may today feel like you got your life pretty well handled. And, and maybe you do. Good for you. That's great. Uh, you have family relationships that are fairly well healed. You, you are right now be able to sit back, kind of fold your arms, and, uh, and you could say, well, I, I can just, I can make it through. I, I think that I can make it through the rest of my days. If that is the if that is your mentality, let me just dissuade you of that notion. And let me just tell you, don't count on it. Aren't you glad you came today? Uh, I mean, you, I'm just going to say it, okay? You are not going to leave here on cloud nine today. You are going to leave this place firmly grounded on planet earth. Because ours is an evil society. The world in which we live has a problem with sin, has a problem with evil. And it's not just because the other guy. It's not just because of the person sitting next to you, maybe not here, but it is not just the person, your next door neighbor that is the problem. Can I just say to you this? And I want to say this to you as kindly as possible, but I am going to say it. You are the problem. And so am I. We are the problem. That's the issue. It's because you and I, we are wrong. And as a result, we live in the wake of this evil and it, and this evil and this pain that causes pain, it, it fractures relationships and it paralyzes our goals and our dreams and it and it anchors us to this sin-laden world like nothing else and the and the presence of evil that we have referenced ad nauseum already I know that I've maybe overdone it I get that it is certainly present in the in the story of Esther Esther chapter 3 if you haven't already done so, I would ask you to turn to that. On the surface, you know, I've referenced it in the past few weeks, that, that Esther is a, it's a fascinating tale, right? And you read it, you, you read it quickly, and it kind of comes off as a fairy tale. But as I talked about last week, I mean, there's a lot of dark stuff in this, in this story. There's a lot of dark stuff in fairy tales too, but... I mean, there's, you know, this hometown girl makes good, becomes the queen of Persia. It, uh, we applaud when the crown is placed on Esther's head. Uh, king Ahasuerus has this, finally has this mate. He's gone down this dark road, but he seems like he's crawling out of the hole. Um, Finally, things are going to turn out right. Mordecai is pleased, and Esther is thrilled, and the nation rejoices. And, and then comes the end of chapter 2. 
you know, there was some dark stuff, and they kind of, everything kind of seemed like it worked out. And then you just get absolutely punched in the face with chapter 3. That's what's happening here. I mean, uh, hopefully you'll see what I mean as we go through this. But if you read (laughs) um, chapter 2 and verse 21... It says, in those days, what days do you think that the author of Esther is is talking about? In those days. Um, I think he's talking about, you know, in those days they were having banquets. In those days they were rejoicing. When everybody seemed so satisfied and so pleased and at peace with one another. In those days. The end of chapter 2 and the, end, and the beginning of chapter 3. Verse 21. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Isn't that the way it is? You know, uh, I mean, why couldn't I, I just this is commentary, but it's a good question. And this is what I thought this week. Why couldn't these guys just to let it go? Whatever it was that they were angry about, why couldn't they have just let it go? Why couldn't they have shrugged off the fact that that their their king had done something to them that had ticked them off? Why couldn't Big Than, awesome name, uh, said to Teresh, don't. You know, let this bug you. The king has a lot on its mind. Whatever it is, it isn't worth the conspiracy. It, it's, not, it's not worth us trying to kill him. It's not it's worth us planning some kind of assassination. But that's the way evil works, isn't it? When, it, when, when evil isn't checked, it can grow. And when it grows, it leads ultimately to rage. And rage can In this case, it can lead to murder. And it isn't just their problem, it's it's our problem. And we shouldn't shake our heads too vehemently at Big Than and Teresh, or these unknown guys really in the Bible that we just read about in one place. We shouldn't shake our heads at them. We should shake our heads at ourselves Because when these kinds of things grow, these grudges that we have, they make us into a people of conspiracy, really. I mean, their their imaginations got the best of them, Big Than and Teresh. Before long, that anger, that rage that they had within them, it led to a plan. And the plan of all things was to kill the king. And the plot became known to Mordecai because he was outside the gate, kind of wringing his can wringing his hands, wondering what was going on with Esther. And so Mordecai heard the plan, told Esther, the, the queen Esther, she went to the king and she told the king about the plan in Mordecai's name. And when the plot was investigated, found to be true, they were both hanged, Big Than and Teresh, they were, they were hanged. And it was written in the book of Chronicles, the Persian Chronicles, I guess, in the king's presence. End of chapter. Happy ending. Awesome, right? Uh, we'll come back to that in, in maybe a, a little bit later on. But let's just put that on the back, back burner for now. So, okay, we're end end of chapter 2. Remember now, it is because they yielded, 
Big Than and Terrace, it was because they gave in to evil, their evil imaginations. They let their rage and their grudges grow into something ugly. It was because man was born for trouble as the sparks fly upward that these two unknown guys got got themselves involved in a plot that probably resulted in their lives being taken. And I don't want us to study this, this kind of section of scripture in the chapter that follows thinking about how wicked they were in the days of Persia. I mean, like I said, there's some ugly stuff in here. But is it any uglier than our lives sometimes? Maybe we don't plan assassinations. I, I get that. But we do plan other stuff. Equally as ugly. And I want us to remember that laden within every heart are sinful, evil thoughts. Remember, remember Paul in chapter 7 of Romans? You know, what was he fighting against? He was talking about the old nature. And he's saying, why? He was so frustrated. He, why do I do the things that I do? When I want to do these things over here, I end up doing these things over here. And, and I just, I hate it. It was this war that Paul is talking about between the old and the new nature. We have all of that to the maximum. And were it not for the power of the living God that lives within us, it would be true of every one of us. So we get to the end of chapter 2, and we have this... um, it, It seems like for like maybe a split second. It seems like things have been resolved, right? Another happy ending. Awesome. Uh, Esther's queen assassination plot is is over. And then we get this another, um, Chuck Swindoll calls it an evil interlude. The beginning of chapter three. Chapter two, uh, end of chapter two, and the beginning of chapter three, it's this evil interlude. The men were hanging on the gallows as a reminder for people not to plan assassinations of the king. Uh, You won't get away from that. Nope. Uh, But it's not the end of the story. In fact, we haven't seen anything yet because the third chapter begins with the idea of not just assassination, but genocide. And it was really all because if you look into the history of it, I, I, I know I said a lot about not going into the history. I'm just going to confess to you, I lied a little bit. Because uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about history today. But the beginning of chapter 3, what happens in chapter 3 is all because of an old grudge. It really is. All because a man wouldn't forgive and wouldn't forget a long-standing grudge. Take a look at chapter 3, verse 1. It says, after these things, after these things again, King Ahasuerus uh, promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadathia, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who went with him. Remember those weird words that I just read. Okay, let's keep going. And all the king's servants who were with the king at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Amon, for the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai did not bow or pay homage. And then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? 
And when they spoke to him day after day and he would not listen to them, he told Haman, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he, would, he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So he, as they had made known to him, the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews. The people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. So that seems like a bit of an overreaction, right? It doesn't seem really fair. Uh, Mordecai was the one who saved the king's life. Mordecai told Esther, who told the king. Um, but Haman gets promoted. Um, one thing that I forgot to tell you, that maybe I should just tell you now, life isn't fair. Uh, it, just, it just is not fair sometimes. It doesn't work out that way. Uh, fate, I think fate is a fable. As a result, Haman of all people is promoted, and on top of that, as in that passage that we read, Mordecai um, would not bow down. Haman wanted everybody to kind of, you know, look at me, I'm a big deal, uh, or, or don't look at me, bow down instead. Um, but Mordecai, you know, he must have had a bad attitude. Well, it wasn't so much his attitude. It was the fact that Mordecai was a Jew. And, I mean, if there's one thing that we can count on, for Jewish people, I think it is many of them have this kind of deep religious kind of bent. And Mordecai, I think, was one of those people. It was against the Ten Commandments. It was against the deepest section of his faith to do such a thing, to bow down to something that was not his, his God, that was not Yahweh. He wouldn't bow down. He wouldn't pay homage to anyone else. And our text makes it clear that Haman notices. And so Haman, in this, like I said, this mother of all overreaction says, you know what, I don't like Mordecai and I don't like him so much, I'm going to kill everybody, that everyone of his, his race. Dark stuff. Genocide. That, that's what we're talking about here. And you can say, well, I mean, why? Why would Haman want to do that? Why in the world would one man's refusal to bow down to another want to kill the Jews? Well, do you know what? It goes back to an old grudge. Here's what I mean. Do you remember? Uh, Sorry. Look at verse 1 again. After these kings, King King Ahasuerus, 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 promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadathia. Okay, so remember that, or don't remember it, I'll explain it right now. Uh, If you know your history, it's tucked back in the pots and pans kind of area of 1 Samuel, uh, where it's a story that probably you heard in Sunday school. Uh, It's a terrible story, another dark one. Uh, It's about a king named Saul. Saul is told by a prophet named Samuel to go out and to fight the Amalekites, to defeat them, and then to wipe them out. 
genocide, actually. Um, and so he's, he's to just decimate the entire uh, people group of the Amalekites. Uh, and, and even their livestock. That's the command. Saul does not do that because Saul was not good at following directions. Um, he keeps the best of the sheep and he also keeps this guy who leads the Amalekites, his na- uh, the king of the Amalekites. You know what his name was? Agag. I, I think you see where I'm going here. Yup. He was an Agagite. And the rest of the story says that Samuel confronted Saul for his disobedience. And finally he confessed. He said, yep, I kept Agag alive. And uh, Saul, uh, Samuel rolled up his sleeves and did what Saul, uh, Saul didn't do. Um, it's a terrible story. Um, but you can read it in 1 Samuel for yourself. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, but here's the point that I'm trying to make. As a result, the Agagites hated the Jews because of what Saul and ultimately what Samuel did. And that grudge, that hate, carried down the line to the great, 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 great grandson of King Agag, a man by the name of Haman. Cool, right? I mean, not cool, but pretty interesting. Um, see, Haman had been nursing this grudge since childhood. Uh, you are not born with grudges. Prejudice is not something that comes from birth. You know what it is? It's a part of education. And so you have to be taught to hate other people. And Haman was taught that way. He hated the Jews and he realized that he might just have the power to not only stop the one guy that he hated more than anyone, Mordecai, the one guy who wouldn't bow. He thought, you know what, I've got a pretty good opportunity here and I think I've got the backing and I think I've got the power to do it. I'm not only going to take care of Mordecai, but I am going to put an exclamation point on this. I'm going to take care of everybody in his race, from his nation. I'm going to take care of them all because none of them are going to get away with this. He had to kill kill the people of Mordecai. And the plan for extermination, it unfolds quickly. If you read through chapter (coughs) 3, verse 7, in the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pure, that is, they cast lots, um, this is just a bit of gambling. I, we don't have time to explain it all. Um, before Haman, day after day, and they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. And then Haman said to the king, Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of the kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other People and they do not keep the king's laws, so it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they would be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. Essentially, what Haman is doing is 
this is my plan, king. He's not giving him all the details, but he's, he's making it pretty interesting and he's making it pretty attractive and he's making it pretty um, profitable for the king to do this. Uh, 10,000 talents of silver, you can look it up. It's approximately 375 tons worth of silver. That's a lot. Um, it's a lot of loot. Where do you think Haman was going to get it? He was probably going to get it from, the, from looting the homes of the Jews. Haman has this old grudge, this long-standing hatred for the Jews, and he used it to feel, fuel his, this evil plan. And the result of it, look at verse 11. And the king said to Haman, The money is, is given to you, the people also to do with what it seems good to you. I mean, I don't know if if King Ahasuerus was just not smart or if he just didn't think things through or his ego just got in the way of everything that, that happened, every decision that he made. But for some reason, he thought that this was a good plan. How could the king so flippantly, with the passing of a hand, just say, essentially, yeah, go ahead, finish them off? I mean, this sounds like Hitler in the 30s. It, 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 it sounds like Pol Pot. It sounds like uh, apartheid in South Africa. It, it sounds like a dozen other things that we could name, don't you think? But before our thoughts turn to those notorious people, let me ask you, are you, are you nursing a grudge? Do you have a face on your dartboard at home. An organization. A former friend. A former pastor. A current pastor. Uh, A former church, a boss, a coach. Someone that you at one point revered or trusted or, and they used you. Someone who made it hard for you. And whatever the intricacies of that encounter, whatever they are in the past, you are determined to hold on to that pain and that grudge. And you are going to, at one point, you're just being patient. You are biding your time. But at some point in the future, you know I'm going to get them. I'm going to get even. I'm going to get ahead. I'm going to even the score. Why do you think that is? Why why do we have that sense? We're Christians, right? Don't you think that it's the war with the old nature? We all have it. And when we give license to that old nature, you know, when we give into the old nature, Don't we sin? Don't we lust? Don't we lie? Don't we steal? Don't we gossip? Don't we tear down? We be hurt, hurtful with our mouths? Uh, 
these lingering grudges, this refusal to forgive, it grows and grows in the background. And we, we read nothing of Haman before chapter 3. He's not even in the picture. He's an adult by the time we meet him. And when he comes into the picture in Esther, he is ready to pounce. His hate is full on grown. In his, uh, it is his moment and his pain, he has he is lived in the middle of that and his hate, and he can't escape it. And I would say that if we hold on to our grudges and, and we, for, we fail to forgive those who have wronged us, I think we'll find ourselves in the same place. No, maybe we will not plan to... Uh, we will not plan a genocide or an assassination or anything like that, but we will be ineffective servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will live in the middle of that, and it, it will not let us go. There's no waiting here in chapter 3. Chapter 12 and chapter, or sorry, chapter, uh, verse 12 and, and verse 13. Um, I'll just read it for you. It says, Then the king's scribes were summoned on the, th- the 13th day of the fir- first month and an, edict, uh, and an edict according to all that Haman commanded was written to the king's satraps and the governors all over the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples to every province in its own script, in every people of its own name, it was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month. Sometimes hate moves very quickly, doesn't it? How dare they do that to King Agag? I'm going to teach them a lesson, and it's going to be the last lesson they ever learn. Murderous things were planned in chapter 3. And all the while, Haman and Ahasuerus, they could, I, I mean, they could have cared less what they were planning. And that is the way it is with evil. Let me just say, uh, let me just give you three things really quick. Uh, there are three lessons here from kind of the main people in the story, from Mordecai, from Haman, and from the king. I would say that we learn from Mordecai this. Always remember that there's going to be someone who is going to resent your devotion to the Lord. I mean, that's how it all started. Ha- Mordecai wouldn't bow down to Haman, and, and that triggered something in Haman Mordecai said, I'm a Jew, my devotion is to the Lord. I dare not do that, but Haman didn't care. And as a result, he went down this path of genocide. And you will always, you should always expect that there will be someone in this world, someone in your world that will resent you for your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, your devotion to the Lord. 
It might be in your home, it might be in your neighborhood, it might be in your school, it might be at your workplace, but someone is going to resent you and you need to, you need to expect that and know how to respond. And did not play their games. From Haman, I would learn this. Never underestimate the diabolical nature of revenge. Because it's never healthy. It never helps. Don't underestimate your own ability to connive and try to get back at someone. It is going to poison your life. Don't let those feelings of grudges overwhelm or take root. Don't let them rob you of your living your life the way that God intended. Here's the last thing from the king. I learned this. Never underestimate the value of your own importance. Never overestimate. <laughs> Never overestimate the value of your own importance. You know, somebody should have come alongside King Aswares and said, what are you doing? Like, do you realize what you just sanctioned? If we follow in the king's footsteps, it is going to blind our minds. In every, in every life, there is an opportunity for an evil, evil interlude. So, my question to you this morning is, what do we do with all this? This isn't something that we talk about very much. And maybe even this is the first time that you are hearing these things. For the first time, something in the Bible maybe has grabbed your attention or maybe God is speaking into your hearts today. Maybe you are even, uh, you may even be astounded that it's spoken so directly to you. First of all, let me say that you are in the company of other people who understand those kinds of feelings. Because we're all human and we have all sinned. And it has happened to to all of us, at one time or another, we have been shocked with the relevance of Scripture. It is cut through us like a hot knife through butter, right into our hearts. And I guess if you want to take anything away from this morning, I would say, this is a warning. If you don't do something with the grudge that you have, it is going to consume you. It is going to invade every part of your life. And secondly, I want, to, I want to tell you that for this very reason, there once came a day where God invaded this, pol- this polluted earth because we weren't able to help ourselves, but the Lord helped us. And he died on a cross for you to take our old grudges away. You cannot escape the evil. But I, and, I, and, I, and I can't even promise that you will escape it You escape your old grudges if you give your life to Christ, but you will have some built-in things that will help you deal with those old grudges. If you make a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to need to learn to grow, and that's what coming to church is all about. It's about hearing from the Word, and it's about fellowshipping with people who experience the same things that you do. Let's give those things to God. Dear Myron, I forgive you. I didn't think that I was being treated very poorly. I do appreciate the email that you have sent me, and I would be very sad 
if things were wrong between us. And after I've given you an update, um, I always had to have had great hopes for you and for your family, and I hope that your sermon goes well. Thank you for getting in touch. The most important decision that we could ever make in our life is to ask Christ to come into our life. One of the most, one of the second most important decisions that we can make is to just let go of the pain. Yeah, let it, let it teach us something, but to let go of the grudges, to not let... Jesus was... Uh, God was saying it right when he said that vengeance is his. Um, I think this morning what we want to do is, is we just want to let go of the grudges that we have and let God minister to our hearts. We can't escape pain. We can't escape suffering. But what we can do is use those things to instruct us and let go of them and give God the glory. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this these moments and and while some of these things are hard to to talk about i pray that you would uh help us to um that this morning would remind us of maybe the 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 relationships that we have that need to be repaired and we pray this in jesus name amen